Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. This is Lama Tantrapa. Welcome to the sixth teleseminar of the Qigong Coaching Certification Program. Thank you for your dedication to our program. This is going to be the final teleseminar of this particular module of our program. And like in the previous teleseminars, today we will continue exploring the most effective ways to serve other people as coaches, but also learn how we can become more effective and more capable as humans at the same time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to first give you a little overview of what we've covered in our programs so far and then proceed with uh, uh, the main topic of our teleseminar today, which is working with our internal energy resources and awakening the dormant potential that most people don't even know they have. So far, we've already covered quite a bit of ground. We've discussed how much values that we have affect our choices and also our ability to uh, respond appropriately to a variety of different situations. We discussed how we can reevaluate our values so we don't have to be stuck with the values that we think we are supposed to have. Instead, we can be fluid and flexible with our values, reevaluating them from time to time to keep them fresh, to keep them up to date. We also talked about the difference between the needs and wants. So it's not that we want. Uh, uh, we, we don't have to constantly follow the dictates of our wants. Instead, we ideally would pay attention to our needs first and foremost. We also recognize that needs are internally motivated as opposed to wants that are usually extrinsically or externally motivated given to us by our parents or upbringing or education or society or media or religion or whatever. If we pursue our wants all the time, we often end up not taking care of our needs. And if our needs aren't met, we're not going to be happy, even if we get what we wanted. We also discovered that we uh, can... Uh, uh, work with a variety of different people using more or less a standardized pattern or uh, framework in which we invite the person to identify how well they function or how satisfied they are in regard to the specific spheres of their lives. And we worked with a pie chart that consisted of six uh, different areas of life that people would be identifying or assessing the level of uh, satisfaction or fulfillment on scale from 1 to 100. And then we can see which of the areas of their lives are either underdeveloped or unfulfilling. Obviously, the areas that are least developed or least fulfilling are the ones that need more attention. But also, sometimes, those areas that are highly developed need more need attention, too. So we don't want to 
always focus on strengthening our areas of weakness. We also want to capitalize on our strengths. And so today, we will be exploring ways to work with the different energy resources that we can find within ourselves. We already covered some of the practices that can allow us uh, to tap into some of the resources that uh, would be crucial. For example, we worked with uh, past experiences uh, that allowed us to learn something or past experiences in which we learn something about the events that, that occurred in our lives. And during those uh, learning opportunities or learning processes that we went through, we gained not only understanding or a certain lesson, we also changed our way of looking at our events in our lives so that we don't perceive them as problems any longer. We perceive them as lessons for which we're grateful. And as a result of that, we perceive our past as something that we feel gratitude for. Now, how many people do you know who live their lives with total gratitude for everything that happened to them in their lives? Probably not very many. And the people who have this level of gratitude and appreciation of their past are usually the people who experience the least suffering in their lives. We also looked at uh, uh, some of the uh, particular methodologies uh, for addressing going into the future. Dreaming about future. Obviously, whenever we think of future, it's a form of a daydream. And we can become creative in this daydream. We can choose how we dream up our future. So whether we're working with ourselves in the form of a self-coaching or working with other people so that we coach them, we can facilitate creativity in terms of uh, dreaming up our future in a way that would be most beneficial or, as we would refer to it, energetically uh, having greatest resonance. What that means is that the future would resonate with our values. If the future resonates with values, it means we are manifesting the future that provides us the maximum satisfaction of our needs. And not only needs, like just basic needs, for example, needs for shelter or food or water, but also more uh, in-depth or more profound needs, such as need for uh, social recognition or need for uh, feeling satisfied, satisfied with our lives or need for leaving a legacy, and so on. We can look at each of the areas of our lives and identify how much we have satisfied our values associated with those areas. And we can also backtrack from the future dream into the present moment using the principle of... Uh, uh, strategic planning in which we divide into halves the period of time between the future and the present and we keep doing that several times until we get so close to the present moment so that uh, the gap between that period and our future time and our future life and the present moment is not so great. Now uh, there's still going to be some gap hopefully in other words, we're going to be progressing, we're going to be developing, so the future is going to be somewhat different from the present. If that's the case, the question, of course, is how are we going to accomplish that so that the, the future would be our dream coming true? Well, we also have a methodology for working with energies 
uh, of the present moment and energy associated with the way that we would need to be in order to manifest our dreams, even if these dreams are not far into the future but relatively uh, close to us, let's say uh, just a, a day or several days ahead, how would I need to be two days ahead, two days from now, so that I would be on the right track and manifesting the little dream, the short-term goals that I need to manifest in order to progress along my way. And so we have the method of harmonizing the current state of affairs energy and energies associated with the future of dream state, allowing them to reconcile any differences between them. And that allows us to tap into the resource that we need to tap into in order to manifest and live our dream. Now, if we know how to deal with our past and we also have the way to facilitate manifestation of our dreams in the future, then that's pretty much the the game already won. The only thing that is missing is how to deal with the present moment. And dealing with the present moment, of course, is a challenge for a lot of people because, well, first of all, they don't know how to be present. Secondly, so they are constantly either in the past, they're mulling over the events of the past, or they are freaking out or they're dreaming about the future. So they're not really in the present moment to start with. But even those people who manage to be in the present moment often don't know how to be in the present moment in a way that would be most adequate, most beneficial. Dealing with the situations that are happening in the present moment in the most appropriate manner. So that instead of struggling with whatever is happening in the present moment, would actually enjoy the experience, learn everything that they can learn right now, so they don't have to wait till some time lapses. And then they get an insight. Oh, that was actually not a problem. It was a great lesson that I could learn from. They recognize the le- We can recognize the lessons right in the present moment, here and now, so we're never perceiving as a problem in the first place. That means we live our lives problems-free. In order to live our lives problems-free. We need to be able to deal with the situations as they arise in our lives using energy that is most appropriate and adequate. Different situations require different energy resources. And most people are so locked in their identity. And identity is often based on a particular state or several states of consciousness that are most habitual to people, that they don't have the way to tap into other energy resources that perhaps would be more appropriate under the circumstances. As a result, this lack of resourcefulness leads to inability to handle situations adequately. Now, what we do is we learn how to become much more resourceful and capable of tapping into the exact energies that are the adequate, uh, most effective and appropriate under each and every type of circumstance. Now, of course, we can talk about uh, the great variety of circumstances that happen in our lives. And, of course, it's hard to predict which energy is needed to deal with every possible set of circumstances. But by and large, we know that if we looked at uh, several areas of our lives that were represented on the pie chart, we can tell that each of those areas of lives required different energy. For example, if we're talking about uh, family life, the energy that is involved in leading most healthy and happy family life is different from the energy that is necessary in order to manifest our dreams in regard to our life work, whether it is working for ourselves or having a career. 
And in order to manifest our dreams in our work life, we need to tap into the energy that is also distinct from, for example, energy associated with the social life and so on. So what we do is we identify which energies within us allow us to become most effective and adequate in addressing the needs that arise in each of the spheres of our lives. Now, to give you a simple and elegant way to work with these different energies, I would like to invite you to consider the ancient Indian tradition of looking at energies within ourselves in the way that they refer to as chakras or energy centers. Depending on the specific tradition of Indian yoga or Qigong or other related disciplines, people talk about a different number of energy centers in their body. For example, in Indian yoga tradition, especially in Kundalini yoga, they talk about seven chakras, six of them residing in the physical body and the seventh one being uh, somewhat outside the physical body, also referred to as crown chakra. And Qigong and Chinese medicine in general, people often talk about just three of them. They uh, refer to them as Dantian, which translates into English as the sea of elixir. And they often talk about the upper Dantian, which is the energy center in the head, uh, pretty closely related to uh, the uh, third eye chakra. The middle Dantian, which can be found in the chest and can probably be associated with the, the heart chakra. And the lower Dantian, which can be uh, pretty much similar to what in Indian tradition is referred to as the, the sacral chakra. And of course, they are not uh, the only ones. So I don't know why exactly the Chinese medical professionals and Qigong masters uh, focus their attention on only three. I think that's probably one of the reasons why some of them are not as functional in their lives as they could be. is because they tap into three energy resources that facilitate mastery in three of the areas of their lives instead of a greater number. And again, these numbers can be pretty subjective. So some people say, well, you know, I don't have only six areas of life that I care about. Maybe some people say they have seven or eight or nine or whatever numbers. Six is a simple number, not only because uh, there are six uh, traditionally uh, recognized uh, chakras in the physical body. It's also because we work with uh, holding patterns, the patterns of tension in the body. And there are six major directions in which we can hold tension. And I'm not talking about just tension in one muscle specifically or another muscle. We're talking about patterns that are distributed throughout the whole body. And we can talk, we can talk about these patterns as uh, certain ways of holding the body against the flow of energy. It's almost like struggling against the flow is the reason why we hold tension. See what I'm talking about? People are not in the flow. Why are they not in the flow? Because they're struggling against the flow. How do they struggle against the flow? By tensing up, by not allowing the flow to move them freely and spontaneously. They don't trust the flow. They don't trust that it's going to take them where they need to go. As a matter of fact, they have certain wants and desires. So they want to go somewhere else other than where the flow is taking them. And to accomplish that, they need to have tension in the body. They need to struggle against this current of energy flowing around and through their bodies. To accomplish that, they tense up. Now, there are, since we're living in three-dimensional world, or at least the three dimensions are 
the ones that are easy to perceive in the physical space. Of course, we can talk about other dimensions, for example, dimension of time is the fourth dimension, and we can talk about other dimensions as well. But the 3D space uh, allows us to work with six ways of holding ourselves. We can hold forth, we can hold back, we can hold up, we can hold down, we can hold out, whether it's the right or the left, sideways, and we can hold in or towards the center. And what happens is that each of these holding patterns require different states of consciousness. So, for example, if you're holding in, you're manifesting physically in your physical body. You are embodying the state of consciousness associated with either fear or uh, concern. There is potentially also the sense of uh, distress. And if we are in that state of consciousness, our physical bodies usually assume a particular uh, way of holding ourselves. Even if we are moving, we are still on the background, we are defaulting into a holding pattern called holding in. If, for example, we are in a different holding pattern, let's say holding out, it's associated with being somewhat skeptical. So we are in a skeptical state of consciousness, maybe even cynical, or simply not so easily swayed by other people's opinions. But at the same time, we are also open to communicate. So we are not withdrawn, we are not aggressive, we are not hiding away, afraid. We're kind of available. And that is the state of consciousness that, again, manifests in a way that the the weight is distributed unevenly between the two feet if the person is standing. Even when the person is walking, they will be hitting the ground firmer with one foot than the other, keeping more weight on one side which also, of course, distributes the weight differently between the hips and that creates a crooked spine or misalignment of the spine. If it is done on a very consistent basis, it becomes an ingrained pattern of tension that leads to scoliosis. If a person doesn't have scoliosis but still holds out, that simply means that they're not always holding out or they mix this holding out pattern with some other pattern of tension. Maybe they're holding out with more weight on one leg than the other, and they may also be maybe holding up or holding down or holding forth or back or whatever. Then they also even combine holding in and holding out. So we can say that holding out pattern of tension is uh, often holding in more on one side than the other. That's probably one of the reasons why people are so uh, skeptical or even cynical is they actually are kind of afraid that they can make a commitment to something that they don't want to commit to. And they're not buying into whatever people are offering them uh, first uh, uh, without any reservations. Well, maybe they're just simply... Um, they want to be cool because they want to be acceptable. They don't want to be lonely. Again, there are different areas of life in which uh, these holding patterns manifest. I'm not going to tell you which of these holding patterns is associated with a specific area of life because I want you to do a little bit of homework and figure this out. I can give you some clues by simply talking about states of consciousness. And you can see how the different states of consciousness may be more beneficial or less beneficial when applied to certain spheres of life. For example, holding forth is another option in which the person shifts the weight more onto 
front of their feet or onto the toes when they stand or walk, which, of course, also creates tension in the calves, requires the slight tilt of the body forward. In some cases, it may be not so slight, quite a significant tilt of the body, and the head projecting forward in relation to the shoulders. So, of course, there's tension in the back of the neck, and this whole uh, pattern of tension holding forth is something that is associated with a state of consciousness that uh, can be considered either aggressive or intense, maybe pushy, or maybe simply very interested in something, wanting to get something, having strong desire for something, or just strong curiosity. And this state of consciousness obviously also can be applied to certain spheres of life, and you can see how it may work a lot better in one sphere than another. You will have to do a little bit of homework, maybe do some soul searching to discover which state of consciousness would work best for you in one or another area of your life. But let's not make a quick decision on that because I want you to really ponder upon it. What you'll discover is that if not universal, at least it's very stereotypical among people. So they can use a specific state of consciousness to accomplish more if they apply it to a specific area of their lives. And if they apply a different state of consciousness, they will accomplish a lot less. They will be a lot less successful in there. And therefore, they will have much less level, uh, much lower level of fulfillment in that area of life. For example, if a person is holding back, it's the opposite of holding forth. It's actually uh, a holding pattern in which weight is distributed more on the heels. And of course, the whole body is kind of leaning backwards. That also requires tension in uh, the text in the shins, even in front of the throat. And most importantly, it creates, it is a somatic manifestation of a certain withdrawn or uh, un, uh, disinterested state of consciousness. The state in which the person doesn't want to get engaged in anything is maybe even disgusted or just uh, not feeling connected. When that happens, or when the person is in that state of consciousness, they also may uh, feel a, a strong judgment about something. So that being judgmental almost always manifests physiologically in the holding back pattern. It can be combined with some other patterns. It's really hard to combine holding back and holding forth, but it may combine with some other pattern. There's another pattern of tension called holding up, in which the person keeps the knee locked, has the exaggerated lumbar curve, which is what we also refer to as lordosis, being like a lord, important. Uh, maybe full of oneself, perhaps uh, having high level of self-confidence, sometimes maybe even borderline uh, egotistic or uh, self-important, which is also associated with uh, uh, feeling somewhat superior to others, you know, like those British lords, obviously from birth, they are superior to others. Uh, as a matter of fact, there is a House of Lords uh, in the Parliament of England that uh, people can only join or participate in, in that uh, house when they are born and, and raised as lords. Now, lordosis obviously is uh, the, the expression that manifests in the spine. But there are also 
areas of the body that are affected adversely. So, for example, there's going to be tension in the muscles of the back. There's going to be tension in the hip flexors. So, for example, psoas muscles, as well as tension in the thigh muscles because the knees are locked. And the head is also listed high. Some people think this is a, a good posture. But what happens is that this good posture actually is associated with excessive tension, which, of course, we know leads to having energy blockages and causing health issues. Besides, it takes energy. And the person who is holding up is burning energy excessively, having a hard time breathing because it's hard to breathe if you are holding this much tension in your body. And when they walk, they often land on the straight knees. So the person who does that often will be injuring the joints, knee joints, hip joints, which often leads to needing to replace them. So all kinds of uh, adverse effects of something that some people think is a good posture. It may, however, serve well under some circumstances. For example, if you're a Marine, Obviously, you need to hold up because that's what the Marines do. <laughs> and some other people in other professions. And at the same time, this may not work under some other circumstances. So, for example, if you are trying to connect with somebody who is not holding up, you will have a hard time connecting with them if you if you are holding up because you're not on the same page. You're not using the same energy center as the other person. And so you're not going to be able to communicate on the same wavelength as it were. Another holding pattern that I want to bring to your attention is holding down, which is a reversal of holding up. Instead of locking the knees, uh, the holding down pattern usually entails that the knees are bent. As a matter of fact, uh, the uh, pelvis is tilted as if you're attacking a tail, and the lumbar curve is virtually gone. This is what we call kyphosis. It also leads to slouching the shoulders and hanging the head low. So the whole spine takes the form of a question mark. Usually the person who's holding down can be quite grounded, meaning they distribute the weight on the centers of their feet, but they have a hard time lifting their feet up. <laughs> and so they often shuffle when they walk, or kick rocks, as it were, when they walk uh, outdoors. They also have a hard time jumping, for example. It's really hard to even lift anything off the floor or, or up in the air, and people hurt themselves. So the lower back pain is almost universal with the holding down pattern. And the funny thing is that the back pain is not really a result of the tension in the back muscles. Most of the tension is in the front, in the abs. So the abs are responsible for eliminating the lumbar curve. In this case, the abs are holding tension, also causing difficulty breathing. The person would have a hard time breathing abdominally with a full and smooth breathing, breathing pattern because they have too much tension in the abs. They also will have tension, of course, in their shoulders that are stooped over and the back of the neck since the neck muscles now have to compensate for misalignment of the neck vertebra or the, the cervical spine. So instead of the weight of the head resting on the bones of the cervical spine, the muscles of the back of the neck have to keep the head from falling even further down. How do they do that? by holding tension all the time. So again, there's going to be tension in many areas of the body because the body is misaligned. And what happens is that this holding pattern also can be usable and useful under some circumstances. Obviously, under other circumstances, it can, it can be quite detrimental to performance. Uh, and it is a physical manifestation of the state of consciousness. What do you think it is? It's essentially low self-esteem, perhaps sadness, 
perhaps even depression as the chronic state. Or maybe it's simply having uh, uh, difficulty uh, cheering up, feeling that uh, things are going crappy in your life. So basically uh, having a low assessment of how well you do in your life and maybe even uh, having a low level of confidence, self-confidence. And maybe also just simply dealing with some sad situations in your life. So if something sad is happening, maybe it would be appropriate to hold down, just do it temporarily for as long as it is needed and appropriate. For instance, if your pet died, if you have a pet and a pet died, well, maybe you'll be sad. And you don't have to be chronically depressed. You can just experience sadness, you grieve the loss of your pet, and move on. But for the time being, when you are feeling sadness, your physical body would naturally want to hold down. Struggling against it would actually be unnatural and would require extra effort. And you would be sweeping under the rug the feelings of sadness. And that obviously is not the most healthy way to deal with your emotions, as we probably know by now. So with that, I would always encourage people to express their emotions through their bodies and then move on. How do we move on? We learn how to explore a variety of these patterns of tension, moving from one state of consciousness to another. How do we experience holding down patterns? Well, we need to imagine that we're sad. We don't even have to lose self-esteem. We can just imagine feeling sad. And this imagination will almost inevitably and very quickly lead to shifting into the state of consciousness associated with sadness, which will go hand in hand with the physical manifestation of our body becoming more stooped over or holding down. Now, the interesting thing is to test which of the holding patterns associated with which energy center in the body. So when I do my work with uh, people going through the Chidao programs, we actually get together and push each other. We literally work with different energy centers in the body. And when one person is pushing the other, in one energy center or another energy center, the person who's receiving the push is invited to hold a particular holding pattern. So, for example, if you're holding down and they push you, and we can do this in our weekend workshop next weekend, you can experience that it's really hard to push you over when they're pushing one energy center but easy to push you over when they push you in another energy center. Those energy centers that are associated with a specific holding pattern that you're holding at the moment are usually not strong. As a matter of fact, the fact of the matter is that you are using the energy of that energy center when you're holding yourself in the way associated with that energy center. Or you can say that your holding pattern is a reflection of the state of consciousness associated with that energy center, if it makes better sense to you. So what we do then is we identify which of the energy centers are associated with which holding pattern. By switching from one holding pattern to another from time to time, we can test each holding pattern, and each energy center. And the beauty of this approach 
is in ability to develop the smooth and easy transition from one holding pattern to another and then to another and another. We do this by developing the skill called being centered or the skill of returning to center or to neutral position. It's like going to the middle of the pie chart where all the spokes of the wheel intersect. That's where the axis of the wheel is located. Going to that center, we are not using one energy or another. We are just becoming neutral for a moment. And then from that center, we can switch to any of the energy centers, assuming any of the holding patterns. It becomes a default state of being after you go through this process for long enough you experiment with a variety of different holding patterns. And each time you switch from one holding pattern to another, you go through neutral. Just like driving a stick shift car. You don't switch directly from uh, the first gear to second. You actually go from the first gear to neutral and then to second. If you switch from the second gear to the third, again, you go to neutral first and then to third gear. And even if you need to go in reverse, you get you go into the neutral first and then go into the reverse. So what we do is we recognize that we go to the neutral before we switch to any of the holding patterns that we're testing. And the more we go through this exploration of holding patterns, the more we test, the more we get used to going to neutral as our new default state. Now what happens is that we get so used to switching to neutral each time we go through the transition from one holding pattern to another that it becomes a real easy thing to become neutral. And we also switch back to neutral whenever we're done using the energy of a particular energy center or embodying a particular holding pattern or using certain state of consciousness associated with that holding pattern or with an energy center. We also recognize that just like with a pie chart of different areas of our lives, we can become more uh, effective addressing the needs that we have in each of those areas and each of those uh, sectors of our lives by tapping into the area and energy resources that allow us to be effective there by tapping into the state of consciousness and embodying this state through holding pattern that allows us to be effective in that respective domain. So what happens is we learn how to basically use the most appropriate gear for each situation. Or we can say it this way that when we deal with uh, health or perhaps health issues, we need to be in a certain state of consciousness. And that is a state of consciousness that is associated with specific energy within ourselves. Just like we were talking about tapping into the energy of learning, for example, that allows us to recognize lessons in certain experiences in our past or connecting with energies that would allow us to manifest our dreams in the future. Now we also learn how to tap into specific energy resource that would allow us to be as effective and efficient in the present moment. Now, how awesome is that? Especially if you are involved in any type of activities or action that requires it to be really empowered. For example, if you're an athlete and you want to perform at peak, you need to be able to tap into the energy resource within yourself that would provide you that exact energy that you need in that particular uh, type of sport. Obviously, different types of sport require different energy resources. For example, if you're uh, 
a truck in the field, let's say, uh, uh, a pole vaulter. You need a very different type of energies compared to if you're a swimmer. And obviously, if you are a martial artist, you need a very different type of energy as compared to being uh, an ice skater. So each of these arenas, each of these domains requires a specific and very accurate fine-tuning of your energy awareness. So sometimes it may not be just one energy resource that you need. Sometimes it may be two or even three that you need to combine together. If you study Chidao with me, you will learn how to develop greater awareness of different energy centers and how to capitalize on your ability to tap into your internal energy resources at maximum. And also you will develop a greater sense of understanding of other people. When you just look at another person, you immediately see what kind of holding pattern they have. And that tells you what state of consciousness they're in. And it also tells you whether or not they're capable of functioning well uh, in a particular area of their life. Or in other words, if they are in that specific area, you know what to expect of them. And that also tells you whether or not they have certain health issues associated with specific energy blockages that they may be uh, keeping in their bodies on a consistent basis. It may also give you a sense of where there is tension in the bodies and therefore where there is certain areas of weakness. So much so that you can just come to the person and push them with just one finger and they will topple if you know where to push. Now, this gives you tremendous advantage, of course. And you don't need to topple everybody around you all the time. But if you need to, you can. If you're, for example, a martial artist, like I am, it's extremely helpful because then you don't have to swing your arms and legs with a lot of force when you can just use the least amount of effort and touch the person in just one area or another that is most effective and that person will already be affected. Now, if you have this deep understanding of other people, and deep understanding of yourself and ability to tap into your own energy resources at will. That means that you have manifested that which most people consider the human potential. And by definition, potential is something that they haven't actualized. The human potential movement of the 70s and 80s would probably kill for that. You know, the ability to tap into some of the energy resources within you that most people consider their untapped or dormant potential. Now, that's no longer dormant to you. You know how to connect with those energies within you by simply experimenting. The more you learn how to shift from one holding pattern to another, the more you explore different energy centers, the easier it will be for you to get into those states of consciousness because you develop neural pathways in your nervous system that allow you to step exactly into that desired state of consciousness at will. And it doesn't take long. And you also don't get stuck there. So in other words, you are masterful. You are using those resources without being stuck in a particular paradigm or, or a particular uh, framework. And also, you have a variety of different perspectives that are available to you if needed. And of course, working with different people in a coaching capacity, it allows you to connect with them on a much deeper level because you may be able to connect with them at the same frequency that they are using if they are holding down, for example. They will have a really hard time connecting with you if you're holding up. 
Why? Because you're not communicating on the same frequency of energy waves. It's like two radio stations, for example, will have a really hard time connecting with each other and having any communication going on if they are operating on two different frequencies. But in order to be able to connect, you need to be able to tune into the person's frequency of their energy of consciousness. How do you do that? Well, the easiest way is to assume the same holding pattern as that person does. Whether it's just holding down, or maybe it's a combination of holding down and maybe holding four, maybe holding down and a little bit in, so you can even develop a greater degree of understanding holding patterns by recognizing that some of them are primary, some of them are secondary. There may be even tertiary holding patterns. Again, this is something that I teach at depth uh, to my people, my students who study Chidao with me, but I can certainly give you the taste of it and encourage you to continue your journey of studying with me because there's a great deal that you can continue learning. Now, what also happens is you can develop the ability to lead your coaching clients out of the pattern of tension and the state of consciousness that they may be stuck in. When you establish rapport with them, guess what happens? They feel resonance with you. They feel a rapport. It means that they trust you. They feel more connected to you. Now, what happens with you is that you don't have to be stuck in that holding pattern as a person is in. You can gradually and slowly start relaxing this holding pattern, meaning you're no longer holding it down as much, so you actually can develop a really clear sense of uh, gradation or uh, a certain level how much you hold tension in a particular way. That also means that you are gradually shifting out of this state of consciousness associated with a holding pattern. At least if there is another person who is in rapport with you, if the person is on the same page with you, they will follow you in your transition from the holding pattern. What I mean by that is that they want to continue being in rapport with you. They feel connected. They feel like they trust you. And if you start gradually, slowly enough, shifting or out of that pattern of tension, they will actually want to stay in connection with you so that they would be, you know, that they would still be in rapport. How do they accomplish that? By also doing that what you're doing. If you're doing consciously, they may be doing it unconsciously. Again, as the coach, you don't want to manipulate people into accomplishing this type of feat completely unconsciously. So it will, you will eventually bring their attention to that because you will want your coaching clients to recognize what's happening and give them the sense that it's possible for them without you facilitating it. That will set them free because they will no longer feel stuck in one particular holding pattern or in one particular state of consciousness that they habitually identify with. That also means that it will allow them to tap into other energy resources. And that usually leads to being able to accomplish greater levels of satisfaction in other spheres of their lives. That is exactly what they would need in order to live their lives more fully so that each and every slice of the pie chart, as it were, was equally satisfying. Now, in order to be able to accomplish that, they would also need to discover that state of being centered or in consciousness studies. In Buddhism, for example, 
It's often referred to as the state of equanimity, associated with being neutral, without tension. When you don't have tension, what does it mean? It means your central nervous system isn't busy sending signals of contraction to your muscles. When you're not sending signals of contraction, that means you're relaxed. It also means that now your body is resting on the bone structure of your skeleton, which means your skeleton is in alignment. If it's not in alignment, you can't rest because you have to compensate for the misalignment by tensing up the muscle. But if the bones are in alignment, you can finally relax, which means you're no longer fighting against gravity or your client isn't fighting against gravity. When your central nervous system is relaxed, it also means you're not suffering. It means you are not struggling. You are not fighting against the flow. You begin to trust the flow. And if the flow is going somewhere, is moving you, you will notice it. When your body is not tense, you can begin detecting subtle energy currents, subtle flows of energy that previously were completely impossible to feel if there was too much tension. So with a greater sense of relaxation, with a greater sense of ease and harmony, we experience both the mental and physical states of uh, being at peace, being in the flow. That harmony now can also be maintained. In order to maintain harmony in our bodies and in our central nervous system and our consciousness, we study how to move in a way that allows us to stay in the harmonious state of consciousness. This way of movement is what I refer to as harmonious culture of movement. Again, it's something that is beyond your scope of practice as Qigong coach, unless you study with Qidao with me, and that will actually tell you how to move your own body or how to facilitate the movement of another person who would then be able to maintain this sense of harmony and ease which also keeps them free from dis-ease. Does it make sense? So, what we discover now is that there is a number of different energy centers throughout the body that correspond to different states of consciousness. And each of these states of consciousness manifests somatically in the form of a particular holding pattern. We also cover today that each of these holding patterns and associated states of consciousness can uh, be usable under some circumstances. So when we uh, are involved in a particular area of our lives, for example, uh, we're involved in our uh, spiritual studies or family life or work or other areas of life, we need different. Uh, we need access to different states of consciousness, different energy resources that we can find in those associated energy centers. And once we have the ability to tap into each of these energy centers freely without obstruction, and we know when it's time to switch from one energy center to another, we can do it easily and gracefully by using the center of the pie chart or the spoke of the wheel. We enter the centered state and then from the state of consciousness we call state of equanimity. It's like the moment of truth. You have total freedom to choose which way to be. You're no longer stuck in your old identity when you used to think that you are this person who can only be this way you can enter another state of consciousness, tap into another energy resource, embody it in a particular holding pattern, and thereby become particularly effective and adequate in the specific area of your life that you're dealing with at the moment. 
And you can also combine several energy resources and several holding patterns and several states of consciousness together so that they can collaborate. Now, most people don't really have any skill in that respect. Even if some people combine uh, two or more states of consciousness, they often aren't exhibiting them effectively. Instead, they have uh, a really polarized uh, experience. Like, for example, you probably know some people who have so-called love-hate relationships. What does it mean? It means that one moment the person is loving, so they're exhibiting certain state of consciousness associated with love. They're probably manifesting it somatically in a way that their holding pattern reflects that they're really interested in another person, that they're really uh, in love with them. But then the next moment, or maybe a few moments later, they are in a hate relationship or, or they hate the other person or something about them. So they exhibit a very judgmental or, or very uh, negative attitude towards them. Or they just withdraw from them and stonewall them. And so this love-hate relationship is a perfect example of uh, a dysfunctional, polarized uh, use of energy centers and states of consciousness associated with them. That uh, also leads to uh, uh, struggle in relationships, struggle in any uh, social functioning. Uh, you may also be uh, familiar with uh, so-called bipolar disorder, also known as uh, manic depressive uh, disorder. What does it mean? It means that sometimes the person is manic. They're really excited, maybe even joyful, um, so much so that they can't even sleep. They're so excited that uh, they're running at the high level of their energy using a particular energy center. And I'm not going to tell you which energy center that is, but it's not hard to figure it out if you test. And then they crash or they just simply switch to a depressed state of consciousness associated with uh, uh, being sad or just, you know, a high level of depression or different various levels of depression maybe associated with that. And when the person is depressed, again, that's the opposite of being excited. That's opposite of being joyful or happy. That basically is another example of a polarized uh, switch from uh, holding up and holding down pattern. See, I'm divulging a little bit of uh, uh, information about holding patterns associated with uh, uh, different conditions. I believe that you can discover a number of other examples of that. I can certainly encourage you to continue this exploration to find somebody who you would be your guinea pig who could assume different states of consciousness and you could test them as they hold themselves differently, checking the different energy centers in their body. And of course, you also want them to do the same for you so that they would push you in different chakras and different energy centers as you are switching or, or as you are holding a particular pattern, as you are maintaining certain state of consciousness associated with that pattern of tension. And that will allow you to find out for yourself which energy centers are associated with which states of consciousness and holding patterns. When you do that, just remember to go through neutral whenever you're switching from one to the other. Also, I would like to suggest as a, a final piece of homework before our uh, finale workshop this weekend to write down your takeaways from our program. It is an informal essay that uh, I would love to receive from you. It's not required for graduation. There's going to be another essay that will be required at the end of the next module. 
this one is something that you are encouraged to write, simply, uh, if nothing else, as a reminder for yourself about your own exploration of different energy centers, different states of consciousness. And in a sense, it's like a Zen koan. You know, Zen uh, Buddhism has this tradition of the master asking the students terribly difficult questions, sometimes questions that seem to have no answer. And this question is supposed to be something that the student would ponder upon. And sometimes they really drive them crazy in a way that they just really have a hard time finding the answer until one moment, one day, they finally get the breakthrough. They finally come to a realization of how to answer this difficult question. Now, this is kind of a six-prong pull-on for you. I invite you to check uh, with your own energy centers and with your own states of consciousness and holding patterns and discover which ones allow you to be particularly effective and adequate in the six uh, areas of your life associated with uh, uh, those pieces of the pie chart that we worked on a couple of weeks ago. I certainly will be happy to work with you on this and uh, work on all the other uh, methods and techniques that we've covered in our program during our weekend workshop that will be happening in Portland, Oregon this weekend, uh, March 28th and 29th. Both days will be starting at 10 a.m. and finishing at 5 p.m. I will send you an email with the address, location of uh, our event, and also uh, all the other uh, logistical details that you will need to know. You're also welcome to contact me by email or call me if you have any questions or comments. I always look forward to that. And I look forward to seeing you at our workshop very soon. Until then, have a wonderful week. Namaste. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.